What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Hollywood Already Did It presents Marvel's Pair Up, a history of Marvel's own movies. As always, I am your host, Blake Schultz, and with me is Jamie Giraffe. Hello. And Terrence Tatum. Hello, everyone. And if you've been listening to the show, you know exactly what we're doing here. And if you haven't been, and this is your first time, what we are doing is while we are usually a podcast about reboots, remakes, sequels, and adaptations, we spin off for each Disney Plus Marvel show. And we do a recap of the episode, our reaction to the episode, and then a history of whatever genre that's in. So we've done sitcoms, buddy cop movies, time travel movies. And with Marvel's What If series, we are, of course, looking at Marvel's own non-MCU movies, their own multiverse, if you will. What if they didn't own all of their characters? And what if we were in large, large battles for decades to make one movie, which is the story of this movie, which is Spider-Man. Before that, we are on What If Episode 6? What If Thor? 7? Episode 7. What If Episode 7? What If Thor Was an Only Child? Guys, what did you think of this episode? It was my favorite episode. Um, I'm not saying it's the best episode, but it was my favorite because it was funny. And and I I just want to laugh, you know, like when it comes to animation, I think when like action and heavy stuff, I'm like, eh, like I like funny animation and everything about this, I laughed so many times. I love that it was just like so different from the Thor movie uh, that which it veered so far away. I love that Loki and and Thor were like friends, um, uh, but nothing, I mean, we all know how I feel about Darcy Lewis, she's my girl and her marrying Howard the Duck is probably the hardest I've laughed in a long time. Uh, everything about it was just was just so fun. Uh, there were so many like little characters that popped up when Korg tackled Nick Fury. Uh, oh my God. Uh, just uh, like, again, I'm not saying it's the best, but it was my favorite. Uh, yeah, I, there are quite a few laugh out loud moments in this episode, but it is it is probably my least favorite. It's, it's weird. It's weird because I think uh, I do like comedy with my animation, but I typically like that in the form of like Animaniacs or Looney Tunes. And so when I see animation that looks like this, I do expect to either be super action oriented or uh, as dark as we have gotten, <laughs> dark and as broken as we've gotten so far before in the what if. And I, I think it says a lot about me. When this was episode, when this was over, I was like, oh, that was a really fun episode. That was probably the one I liked the least. I was like, oh, there's something must be dead and broken inside of me. That the Doctor Strange episode is probably my favorite. Oh, we put that poor guy through the ringer. And that's what I enjoyed. That's why I like Black Mirror. But yeah, I, I didn't hate this up ep- this episode. It's fun. I get it. It's completely off the, the left. It reminds me a lot of if Ragnarok, if that tone of Ragnarok happened in Thor One as opposed to where we got him. But uh it was it was fun, but I I I don't think I would go back to this. Yeah, I think if I'm ranking them, this one is somewhere in the middle, but I really liked it. And I've been saying to my roommate every time we watch it that I feel like this writer watched a lot of Archer. A lot of these animation beats have that kind of long pause or quick back and forth that that show has a lot of. Obviously, it's not as problematic in its humor or (laughs) sexual in its nature, but it has kind of those same rhythms every now and then. And I felt like this had that in spades. And what I also liked a lot about it, I I agree, I love seeing a completely different world. Like I think my favorite what ifs so far have been more of the like, what if the story was entirely different, less so of like, what if somebody was a different character? 
Right. Um, I find it, I, it challenges kind of the themes more. I liked opening and having this monologue about, well, you know, heroes are defined by who else they're around and Loki shaped Thor. And we had this very cool, like hieroglyphic animation that we hadn't seen yet that reminded me a lot of Legend of Zelda Wind Waker and seeing kind of that way of storytelling of the story we know, I loved. I'm a sucker whenever we just change up a style like that. So to me seeing that, I was like, oh, this is so fun. We should be doing something like this every time. <clears throat> and then you're right. There's like Ragnarok type humor. It got pretty cool. It got big. Love seeing Carol and Thor fight in these weird Looney Tunes uppercuts with France spelled out on the continent and launching them from place to place. Things we'll never see in live action because it just wouldn't work wouldn't play. but by yeah. the nature of this medium it, it not only works but it's very funny and i am a sucker for old looney tunes animation so any big giant fights like that were great i liked uh the characterization of thor and him just being so afraid of his mom and what's gonna say and seeing everybody like just down to party it, it positioned this weird question to me where i was like so wait if loki wasn't around like Suter would just be a party animal and all of these other characters would just be like down to get drunk like no one no one's a villain if Loki isn't there to like stir the pot that's like he's like the Iago of the universe is whispering and getting everybody into trouble so if he's gone off the table he's like everybody's just drunk and and partying I like it I want to live in like universe well, it's like, once again, I'm like, I just want to know all the other ins and outs. Where's Tony in this universe? Where are like caps still on ice? And there's something comforting to me in all of these, even when these stories get dark, where I'm like, well, Captain America, Captain Marvel are still out there. They are either frozen or in space and everything will be fine, no matter what happens to everyone else. <laughs> there's like a very, like my anxiety is just like, no, it's fine. Cap's around. We just haven't unfrozen him. I didn't love the ending, even though like Vision as Ultron is really cool. Um, it was a thing like I are like I feel like when they end something like that, they have to be teasing something. Like this they keep is... doing that, and I don't and I don't get. I will be disappointed if if none of these lead anywhere. I typically well, like is... I typically like those, and I've liked those throughout this series. Um, and it was oh, it's cool to see like Vision Ultron with all the, the Infinity Stones. I hated it for this because the tones were so completely different. And I was just like, this doesn't fit with anything that we've seen in the last 20 plus minutes of this episode. I think you guys are missing one keynote of this ending. And it is the first time the watcher has reacted to yes. it. And, taken a, taken and that's, because that I agree with you, Jamie. Every episode, as I've said on the show, is like the ending is the most interesting part. It's like, I, I want to know what happens when Ego gets his son because T'Challa's a starboard. I want to know what this tentacle monster was in Captain Carter. I want to know more about Uatu having snarky remarks to Doctor Strange. I want to see Loki taking over the world in the Hank Pym episode. But this is the first time that the Watcher's been like, that's a problem. Yeah. So I'm wondering, like, and I know there's been leaked merchandise and we've seen like trailers that I don't know if they're trailers or if they're just Hyundai commercials where everybody's teamed up. And so I'm like, okay, maybe, but it feels weird with what three episodes left, eight, nine, and 10 mm -hmm. to posit a, like an Avengers-esque story, especially when we've established a threat at the end of every episode and not just here, like if these were all contained stories that didn't have like zombie Thanos and other big cliffhangers. And then we were like, 
whoa, there's an Ultron with this, because I love this Ultron design. I'm all about Ultron. I like the, and it's an infinity stones on his chest and the mind stone and this weird horror vision face. And it's amazing. And he can't die. He can just blow through those stone powers forever. He doesn't have to worry about his arm. It's great. Uh, but if he had just popped up and then Owatu had been like, oh no. But like all of these have had something at the end so now like, clearly the next episode will be the Ultron what if episode. And I'm assuming that ending will then be the like, I gotta go, I have to break my oath and interfere and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, or like a, an episode where he's, he's just straight up wrong. Cause it was cool to see him telling the story and like, and they lived happily ever, what the hell is happening down there? Like that yeah. was fun. But yeah, it's, it's weird to use that beat and be like, we're building to something. When we've used that beat every single week it would be like if i kept right. making you mac and cheese and then on like wednesday was like guys we're having mac and cheese <laughs> you'd be like yeah we we know <laughs> like, i was aware <laughs> yeah uh but yeah otherwise i mean like this was also a weird episode because it was just so weird and i kept saying that to my roommate and he also kept being like it's just so odd like there's not really stakes and it wasn't until it was done and my first instinct was like, whatever. I liked Darcy. I liked her talking to Brie Larson. Her getting married to Howard the Duck is obviously fantastic. And it wasn't until I sat on for a day where I was like, it's dumb for me to say this is not a good episode because I laughed every five minutes. And clearly that was the goal here. Yeah, I think they have, they have conditioned us in these first few episodes that everything had to sort of have like a moral compass or some type of moral deposit. Like we're, we're questioning this or we're questioning this or putting this into question. And then this episode is like, F all that, let's just have some fun. And it's jarring compared to the other six, but you're kind of just like, if you accept the fun, like this was pretty, this was a good time. Well, then we almost needed it because without it, it was like dark episode, dark episode, dark episode. And then we got some light and humor in such a big way. And that I think leads us to the history of the Spider-Man movies, which brought comedy to the superhero movies after dark Batman, dark Blade, dark X-Men. This was a spark of optimism. So if anybody has anything else to say on what if, feel free, but I like that segue. <laughs> I like it. Well done. Go for it. Let's right. move well on. Well then, let's go back to the summer of 2002. <laughs> what a time to be alive. I was in seventh grade. Uh, that's all I really remember from it. You know, it's been a long <laughs> time. But here it was. It, it launched. It was Spider-Man. The hype for this movie was insane. And before we got to that hype, we have to kind of look at how long this took to get made. Because until then, obviously the 90s cartoon had been huge. Obviously we talked about the 70s Japanese Spider-Man show, which had been huge in that audience. We had not seen it yet, I don't think. So in the 80s, they're trying to make a Spider-Man movie. The rights are with MGM. Roger Corman is going to produce a script written by Stan Lee himself with Bob Hoskins as Doc Ock with the backdrop of the Cold War, which sounds awesome to me. Bob Hoskins, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, I was like, I want Bob Hoskins, Doc Ock in Cold War battling. This sounds amazing. I'd watch it. I'd watch it. Like these, these are the kind of things that we'll never see because now we're never, we'll never do that. Maybe in well, a Marvel. Bob Hoskins has passed away. <laughs> well, that, yes. all, you know, yes, obviously. 
Maybe you'll be Chris Pratt now. <laughs> See what I did? That was a good connection to What's the Mario me? stuff. Uh, and then, you know, Canon acquired the rights, as somehow they always do, and set out to make a movie knowing very little about the product and thought that it worked more like a werewolf. So they wanted to create a horror Spider-Man werewolf movie, which also kind of sounds awesome <laughs> it wouldn't have been awesome but it kind of sounds great stan lee hated it so then finally the rights go to 20th century fox we're in the 90s toby hooper james cameron joseph zito all connected to make this movie james cameron went so far as to write a script with sandman and electro now electro is a big ceo sandman's his bodyguard MJ and Peter are going to bang out on the Brooklyn Bridge, baby. <laughs> he was going to bring some of that old school Terminator sex scene to it. I'm sure there would have been a lot of blue lighting. It probably would have been bizarre, and I really want to see it. This all came about because he wanted to make an X-Men movie, and Stanley said, you're better for Spider-Man. I don't know why that's a thing anyone said to him, but it worked out <laughs> because then they lost the rights to it in a bidding war with Sony when Sony had the option to buy every single Marvel property and instead went, we just want the guy we can make toys out of. We <laughs> talked about toy biz. We've talked about that long legacy. The Spider-Man classics line is about to bring six inch figures to the forefront and it's going to be great. At a time, David Fincher was attached to do it, who didn't want to do an origin story. He wanted to do the night when Stacy died and put that of course he all does. into my veins. <laughs> like, of course he does. And that would have been great from Fincher. Man, that would have been nuts. I would have loved it. So then finally, Sam Raimi gets a hold of it. He throws out James Cameron's script. They've in once Sony got the rights, they had to take everything. Everything Canon worked on, everything James Cameron worked on. They had a scriptment, which is like a treatment and a script combined with Jim Cameron's name on it. Sam Raimi got it and said, we're throwing this out. We want a surrogate father for Peter. We want to deal with father-son themes and we're going to make it Green Goblin. We're not doing any of this nonsense. We're doing the origin story. We're going for it. And then after long casting, we almost had Heath Ledger as Peter. We got Tobey Maguire. At long last, we got the movie that we have now. And after some weird marketing that didn't work in a post 9-11 world, and we took out a few trailer scenes that you can find online about criminals getting trapped in between the World Trade Centers and the skyline in his posters, we made it to the summer of 2002. <laughs> But man, that first look, I'll never forget seeing the trailer for that Spider-Man movie. And he caught that helicopter in between those towers. And it was awesome. And it's a terrible tragedy. And it's better that we got rid of all of this stuff. But man, I will never forget being like, this movie's going to be huge. <laughs> and here we are, guys. So what did you think upon your first watch of Spider-Man? Terrence? Uh, I was what a junior. I had to be a junior uh, when that junior in college. When in junior high. <laughs> in college when this came out, and I worked at the movie theaters, uh, and so I was amped. I was they. I worked, and they were like, "Hey, you want this poster?" And it was a Spider-Man poster. I actually, I believe I still have the poster uh, with the the tower still in place. Uh, so I'm gonna hold on to that bad boy. But yeah, it was. Um, I loved it. 
I, I loved everything about it. it. It had that feeling of like X-Men took itself serious and, and, and was very grounded, whereas this one felt more, if X-Men and Rocketeer sort of merged together and kind of just harking back to that old school way of storytelling, but did it with a character that was current or at that point in time, current, that's what that felt like. And I loved a great deal of that movie, um, especially at that time. I, seeing Spider-Man working and seeing the webs and, and just, I, I could not stop smiling. I felt like I was watching a Saturday morning cartoon in a, in a film and I loved it. Um, upon subsequent viewings now, I don't know, I, some things have not aged as well as I, I would have liked them to, but I, that first one laid the groundwork for so many things to take itself, take the source material more serious than the others. So as much as I love X-Men, it still didn't do everything as quote unquote correct as far as the source material goes with like uniform. We talked about that, like the outfits, they were wearing all black. This one, we're in it. Like it's bringing the red leotard, it's full on. That looks like Spider-Man and that made me joyous. I was 12 when it came out and I genuinely have no memory of seeing it for the first time. Um, I know I had to have seen it when it came out. Um, I've owned all the DVDs since they've existed. Um, but I will say last year is the first time I watched all three of them since I was in high school. Once the MCU came into being, I just never watched those Spider-Man movies again. I've always liked, yeah, I always liked them, but I didn't love them. And so, uh, so I have no real memory of watching when I was younger, but I will say revisiting last year, uh, of the three, the first one's my favorite. And, uh, I don't know if we've talked, if I've talked about this in the show before, but I think it's because it is its own era of comic book movies where it's like campy and fun and over the top whereas once we get to spider-man 2 it's kind of the beginning of our current era and it like it kind of kicked off what we're dealing with now and for me it's just like i know everyone loves that movie so much but for me it's just like the start of something that only got way better um so so spider-man the first one i i just first of all willem dafoe is the best i mean i also love alfred molina don't get me wrong but willem dafoe is i mean come on but he brings up, like, I still get scared with some of his deliveries. You're just it's like, oh, my God. It's, it's a like a switch that he has that was just, it's just fun. It's fun to see it. Yeah, I'm also, like, the, a big, big Kirsten Dunst fan. And it's so funny, like, when I think of her and, and all the movies of hers I love, I don't, Spider-Man doesn't even cross my mind. Like, there are, there are, I could name, like, seven or eight movies that I love that she's in before I would ever think of the Spider-Man movies. Um, but I like Toby. I mean, I always, I mean, I'm a Tom Holland girl through and through, but, like, I think Toby's good. I think, you know, there's, there, I, um, it was funny going back and realizing certain people were in it that I was like, oh, like, um, um, who plays Flash? Joe. Um, oh, oh, Mag, um, Mag, Mag, I can't. I'm going to butcher. Yes. Yeah. Like, I was like, oh, interesting. And like little things like that. Because because the last time I watched those movies, I was not as knowledgeable in Marvel. Of who else? Right. Like, I, I know Marvel so much more now. And so even like little, like watching the third one um, and like Bryce Dallas Howard, I was like, oh, okay. Okay. So, Are they going to murder her like they yeah, do all exactly. the time she's on screen? Um, <laughs> So, um, so that was all interesting, but I wish like, I, I vividly remember watching the X-Men when I was a kid and stuff. I just, Spider-Man's, I just did not, that, that, I do not have that memory. Oh, I do. <laughs> I was <laughs> like, I remember being with my parents and our neighbors. It, it was like, it must have been what Star Wars was like for them. Like, it's the closest thing I can think of where everyone I knew was just blown away by this event. Yeah. 
and just and everyone you talk to had seen this movie and i remember leaving with my dad and being like we made a spider-man movie and even he was like yeah the technology's there now like you could have never done this and i just remember everyone like myself included being like we can do this now this is crazy like the things we're seeing we've never seen before and even in the superhero genre i was like we had just seen X-Men where they were like, you could never have a colorful suit on. And then we've got this bright green villain flying on a glider and these bright Spider-Man costumes where like, you you almost can't convince me they didn't want to make a 70s like period piece Spider-Man movie. That's what I say. It's, it seems like the Rocketeer. Like they literally were going for that Rocketeer campy style of it. I was in for it. It's so, it's so great. And it's so like, we've now covered the like fundamental movies to where we are now, Blade, X-Men and Spider-Man. And I know there's a lot of debate over like who did more, but they all did something different. And I think without Blade, we wouldn't have any of it. So like, that's the like, that's it. But without Spider-Man, we, we hearken back to like the original Superman movie and the original 89 Batman movie in ways that I really only saw this time watching it today, especially for the 89 Batman. And it's really our first origin story since Superman. You know, 89 Batman, he's just out and about he's doing his thing. Yeah. Blade, there he's out doing his thing. Fantastic Four, I don't think was out yet, but it's fine. X-Men, they're just out doing their thing. Like, like everybody, you're just dropped into this world and they're active, they have lives. This is the first time we had really seen the evolution of a character and the learning curve of his abilities and the learning curve of his moral compass and juggling his life. Like it gave you a, a side of the superhero story I don't think we had really seen outside of Clark Kent and Superman. When we get to 89 Batman, Bruce knows how to be Bruce and Batman. There's never a moment where he's like, I'm tired today. <laughs> like Bruce Wayne and Batman Begins is struggling with who he wants to be. Right. And Michael Keaton has it, like he's he's in it. Uh, so it's fun to see that. We talked about the colorful costume. We're getting a bigger dichotomy in Peter and Spider-Man, which is now like every, which we've almost thrown out in the MCU. There really isn't a like Steve Rogers and Captain America. They're sort of synonymous. Even Tom Holland's Peter Parker is like, they're both kind of there. This right. really like, they're two different people, which I, think is very fundamental to that character. Uh, but you know, this origin story, fun, like that, that's the template Iron Man follows and Cap follows. And it almost got to a point where we, we started going, just drop us in. We don't need to do the origin anymore. Like the, some of the stuff Spider-Man did, we're now like, okay, we got it. We don't need the first act no longer needs to be establishing every single person and doing all this stuff. Yeah. But we also see genre bending for the first time. There's a lot of humor in this, a lot of camp, a lot of Sam Raimi horror. I mean, like there's jump scares in this movie. That's weird. Like that's <laughs> we, like there's beats with the goblet. He's up at the finish the prayer. Like that's the part everyone talks about. But when he's in the last fight with him and he's like, you know, Peter, I was gonna do MJ fast, but now you've really pissed me off. And I'm like, that is some of the scariest <laughs> like we talk about villains in the mcu and the ones like thanos and the ones like killmonger who have interesting points of view and the ones like ego who are good and the ones that are kind of like throw away they're just there to be 
I don't think we have a villain in the MCU as scary as Green Goblin, who is just okay. like, I'm going to kill you. Yeah. <laughs> like, Because yeah. this is also like my favorite part of this movie now is that in theory, it should end. And this is what I mean when I'm like, it's sort of like Batman 89, which is really the Joker's origin and the Joker's story and the Joker's agency. Bruce's agency in Batman 89 is just stop the Joker. The right. rest of the plot is driven by the villain. Sp Peter becomes Spider-Man and is like, I'm gonna go make money and buy a car. Oops, Uncle Ben is dead. I need to learn power and responsibility and like go through my character journey. The Green Goblin is like, I'm gonna go kill all the board of directors of, of Oscorp. All of them. And then he does it. In theory, the movie should end. The villain had a set, he had a goal and, and he succeeded. did it. When was the last time like Iron Monger in Iron Man 1 wasn't like, I gotta kill these guys first. He just keeps failing. We've never really had a villain that just kicks off and is like, here's the thing. I'm gonna kill everybody. These guys are gonna like, die. There's, the C story of Spider-Man that doesn't exist should be Oscorp like trying to figure out how to be a company. It should be gone. He's killed everyone in charge <laughs> in one fell swoop. And then it's just like, Spider-Man could be trouble for me. I now need to go on a like mystery. Like there's a, there's a third genre no one talks about in this movie where he's on like this mystery quest of who is Spider-Man. Who this person is. It's And cool. then I will murder him as well. And then, right, just because if he doesn't join me, I'm going to kill him. And then I'm going to kill everyone he loves. And then I, I, I might just go kill him. Like, it's, he's insane. It's awesome. We never do this again. There's so few villains that are just like, oh, fuck it. Like, but then, like, he goes on this mystery. And then, like Batman 89, there is no big, giant CGI climax like you get now. It is one-on-one. -on -one it is small, it's quiet, it's awesome. It's that. very bell tower. Oh, he's like dusty, the suit's broken. Yeah. He's obviously trying to tell Peter, don't tell Harry about the second glider and the bombs and the formula that's hidden behind the mirror, but he ran out of time. <laughs> <laughs> tell him I'm the goblin. Uh, don't tell him about the mirror. Oh, I've run out of time. Don't worry. My butler knows about it. He'll be around in Spider-Man 3 I'll to correct any three. misconstrued problems. <laughs> it's great. And that's like the interesting thing with this movie is I feel like I loved it. And then somewhere in my life when I was cynical, I was like, it's not as good. And he's stiff. And Peter should be more like Andrew Garfield and more like Tom Holland. And now I've gone back and there's just something so unique about it we don't really get horror blending as much as we do in spider-man one and two i like seeing peter struggle a bit and like spin all these plates i like our like i love tom holland spider-man i think he is the best spider-man performer but i i haven't really seen any like weight to him yet he's always sort of like everything's going great like yeah I, I feel like a part of that is just because in that in our current spider-man in our current universe having multiple balancing the act of who you personally are and who your hero is has not happened because everybody sort of knows who all the heroes are there is no secret identities anymore it seems like that might matter to whatever we're getting in this next spider-man tenfold but yes you're correct up to this point there was no reason for it and he's like oh, i'm i'm great i'm spider-man yeah. i get to hang out with the avengers <laughs> right like he's which i like because it's you know 
the nice thing about all the Spider-Man movies, and there's so many of them now, is that they all do have a different flavor. And like even Amazing Spider-Man 1 and 2 offers something that this movie doesn't, that Tom Holland's doesn't, that Spider-Verse doesn't. And then you have Spider-Verse, which is, I think, the best Spider-Man movie. I love it. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, like there's, without this movie, we like don't get to the MCU at all. Without all any of these three, without this one, without X-Men, without Blade, you just don't do it. And what's crazy is I feel like this one, though, sets up the pens for the texture of the MCU. If Blade just proved that risks work and then X-Men was like, let's do some deeper themes and ideas and like we don't, it, it can be a deep movie. Spider-Man showed up and was like, it can also be fun. Let's have some and fun. Like, yeah. Those three together are what gave us Iron Man and what gave us Black Panther and what gave us Endgame is like they had all of these unique things that they were like, Ant-Man can be a heist movie. This one can be a comedy. This one can be Ragnarok. And like, that's how you get to like where we are now with this show. That's just like, who cares? What if uh, Thor is just partying on earth for an hour? It's going to be awesome. <laughs> And of course, everyone agreed with us. I didn't know this until now. This was the first movie to pass $100 million in a single weekend. The previous holder of that was $90 million for Harry Potter. And it only got knocked out of being like the top movie of the summer until Star Wars showed up three weeks later, which is like baffling. And I don't think it lost its single weekend holder for, I think, Pirate's Dead Man's Chest, the second one? Yes. Yes. That's what knocked it out of like that one did 120 or whatever. But <clears throat> I mean, it's great. And then you've got Spider-Man 2, which people still consider one of the best superhero movies of all time. And now hopefully all these villains are coming back. But you guys all know my theory. I don't think that, I think Willem Dafoe is going to be in it. I don't think it's this Willem Dafoe. I think it is an, a variance exists now. I don't think it's this Green Goblin. I think Willem Dafoe just is the Green Goblin across every universe. Every and this universe. Doc Ock is yeah. not the Doc Ock who is in Spider-Man 2. I mean, we got J.K. We... Simmons' as proof that, you know. Yeah, yeah, I think they were warming us up to that idea, but the expectations of this movie now are just so high. Yeah, I have to. Uh, I've, I've been having to like just bring myself back down to reality. Be like, let me not think about this movie too much because I sometimes like you just have to remind yourself that it's a movie. Yeah, like every now and then, it's like it's not going to change. <laughs> my like therapy and movies are not the same thing. This isn't going to heal my past trauma. <laughs> <laughs> Although it it'll help for a few hours. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, but I love it. I, I, does anybody else have anything else to, to say of any of these movies? I just love that the Spider-Man, the Spider-Man, Spider-Man, the character is to Marvel what Batman is to, to, to DC. And it's a character that they keep, like, obviously we keep going back to the well. People know it. They're like, all right, we can change it up a little bit. I I really enjoy Amazing Spider-Man. I, I, I want to give Andrew Garfield some love. I don't like the second one. Who did? Oh, Terrence, I went back and watched that on 4K recently. I'm going to be honest with you. I, it's kind of good. The second one? I think I it's like, got some I, some. I love all the relationship stuff right. with them. I love all of that. Let's uh, not spoil it, it for Jamie, but like there's. I, mean, I know some, Gwen Stacy's going to die. It's Jamie <laughs> that, Fox that I 
I don't, I don't. That is a big problem. But as soon as you're done with his goofiness and he's in his like third act, Jamie Foxx and third act, Daniel DeHaan. As soon as you get in there, it is like, man, this movie punches Spider-Man three out of the water. It doesn't punch any of the other ones. Yeah. I'm going to watch it before No Way Home. For sure. I mean, you, Jamie, you're welcome to come over here before No Way Home and we'll watch all of them on 4K. Yeah, I'll watch Sp- Amazing Spider-Man. I really enjoy that. that I, I'm a sucker for romance too. Like that final sequence when he's like, "I made the promise." You've seen the first one, correct? Yeah. And made the promise, and he's like, "Secrets and promises meant to be broken." I was like, "Oh, that's great!" So I'm I'm a sucker for those movies. Um, but like as a whole, Spider-Man is one of those ones that keep going back to the well. I'm like, oh, you're doing something different. I don't care. I'm going to be Well, there. we just keep, like as soon as they did that, anyone can be under the mask. Spider-Man's also become one of the most like inclusive superhero titles. Like it, it, it's hit and Batman. Like those are the two that are like, mm-hmm. yeah, we're not this place now where we can have Miles and Spider-Gwen and yeah. Spider-Man 2099. And like, it isn't just a white dude in a mask. Like it, it it's expanded in such a way. And I think that's part of why it resonates. Like I remember when Donald Glover was gonna be Spider-Man and he had that interview where he was like, it's just crazy that people don't think like there's a black nerd who likes science and Queens who could be Spider-Man. And you're like, yeah, that's, there's a relatability to this character that everyone has. Right. Why shouldn't everyone have it? And then it was, and then it was the best one. <laughs> And then that game, I mean, it's it like really the, the, like the back to back with the game, the cart, the movie, and then the game. I was like, yeah, Miles, you're the one now. You're it. I mean, I'm like, I'm, I'm ready. I mean, my big theory that was wrong was that Peter was going to die in Infinity War and Endgame, and we were just going to bring Miles in for the rest of the MCU. I was like, oh, that, that's how they're going to solve it. They're going to kill him. It's going to be sad, and then we're going to get Miles in, and we're going to, it's going to be great. I do feel like they're fix, the, the fix for Sony is to get my, use Miles. Like while while they're using Peter, like we'll we'll use Miles. If anybody was smart, I don't know if that's going to happen, but that would be. Oh no, their way. fix for this was what if they were all just in a movie? <laughs> their solution was everyone. Bring them all to us. Doc Ock is back. Every villain you've ever seen is back. Jamie's here. You thought Spider-Man 3 had too many villains? It's going to get nonsense. Is Daredevil in it? Maybe. (laughs) Who cares? I'm so excited. This is such a weird experiment. Like It's so crazy because like Spider-Man 1 did so much to get us here that of course Spider-Man is the first one that's like, oh, guys, multiverse shenanigans? Should should we experiment with that here in Spider-Man and make billions of dollars? It's great. But unfortunately, until 2008, after Spider-Man 1 and 2, it gets less great. And those are the next movies we have to talk about next week when we are back. So if you liked listening to this show, you can, of course, leave us a review, leave us a comment on YouTube of what you think of Spider-Man and his many iterations. Uh, you can, of course, follow the show on Hollywood ADI on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at, as always, Blake. Terrence is at Terrence Tatum. And Jamie's at Jamie Cinematics. Terrence does all the other things on the YouTube channel, the reviews, the trailer reactions, all that fun stuff. We have our other show we talked about at the top of the show. Hollywood already did it. Jamie is at comicbook.com where you can read her articles and she pops up on phase zero podcast. 
And I have How Do You Figure, a toy collecting podcast. So if you want even more Spider-Man information, there's a great episode on uh, that specific six-inch Spider-Man Classics Marvel Legends line. And we'll give a shout out to our friend Steve Cravens because I did this movie on his underrated movie podcast, a, uh, a movie that I don't think is underrated, but it's a great episode to go back and listen to. Uh, you can find all of that and more at any of our socials and we will see everybody next week for Ultron, I'm assuming. And uh, <laughs> what's on my little list here? Ghost Rider, Daredevil, something like that. One of those. <laughs> It's going to get bad. It's going down. <laughs> All right. We'll see everybody next week. Bye.